People of the world, hello and welcome to the Brothers Talk with your hosts, Rod, Scott, and Norm, where our purpose is a simple one. Tune into our weekly podcast each Friday, wherever you listen to your favorite programs or on this website to hear us, three black, unfiltered African-American men with no strings attached, giving voice as the most feared, most misunderstood, and most rarely heard from segment of the population on topics of interest to us for education, enlightenment, and entertainment. To reach us with your comments, questions, and suggestions, we're at The Brothers Talk on Twitter, The Brothers Talk on Instagram, the Facebook group of the same name, and if you care to share in more detail, hit us up at the email address, thebrotherstalk at gmail.com. Also, stay tuned for details about our upcoming news and perspective show on Millennium TV's M24 streaming news station. And thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us again on The Brothers Talk. We're here for our 24th episode. And the fact that so many of you out there allow us to share the unfiltered opinions of we three black men is extremely gratifying. We'd like you to note, however, that since we started this back in February and since the condition of black America has become an issue, some of our black brethren are at least trying to find their voices. And, you know, we're looking at you, Don Lemon and Craig Melvin, but they're still not putting it down like we are. And we'd also like to note that some of our positions that we voiced online and on our podcast have also been taken up most recently by a white police psychologist who noted that one bad apple means a barrel full of rotten. We pointed out that flaw in the few bad apples argument a while ago and even supported it scientifically with the fact that ethylene gas makes the other apples rot. We just want to make sure the proper credit is given when we were discussing the abuse of power of our police. So we're taking it a step further because we don't think they go far enough. When we say that the cops who are sworn to uphold the law and then do nothing about these bad apples are really complicit in everything that happens. The code of silence by the brothers in blue is worse than the mafia because the mafia never swore to protect and serve. So there is that. And just before I bring the co-hosts on board, I'd also just like to say that we've been blessed to produce these episodes on the weekend because it kind of gives us some of the last words on the issues that often go without hearing from the brothers. And case in point is this week's topic, the violence in our communities. But before we launch out, here's Scott and Norm. Our family, want to appreciate your continued support. want to appreciate what you're doing in terms of supporting our Black businesses. We've been seeing an uptick in the number of customers and Black businesses are, are talking about they're being overwhelmed by Black folks supporting them. And we appreciate that want you to also continue to wear your mask, social distance, and be safe. Don't be foolish and listen to this nonsense. Some of these governors, politicians are telling you not to wear a mask and, and not to practice social distancing. Protect yourself and your family and friends. Thank you, Scott. And just want to say blessings. And to all my brothers and sisters, stay black. All right, let's get to it. Over the last two weeks, there's been a bunch of news stories about the number of shootings in Black communities, and the disturbing aspect of the coverage to me is that the media is falling suspect to the same old white supremacy argument of undercutting the Black Lives Matter movement by saying, how can you say Black Lives Matter and there's all this violence and killing in the Black community? As if they're unwittingly attempting to justify police shooting and killing us by saying, if y'all are killing each other, then what's the problem? They even seem to be saying that we can't be serious about Black Lives Matter because they haven't seen the activism that goes on in our communities against crime and gun violence and drug use. There's so much to unpack here, but let me first tee this up. 
you know, Martin Luther King said a riot is the voice of the unheard and 401 years of dehumanizing us through economic violence, educational violence, healthcare violence, media violence, and legal violence. But somehow they remain surprised when people who've endured that kind of subhuman treatment for 401 years in a society that's turned a blind eye and a deaf ear to them act out negatively. This pandemic is killing us disproportionately, and we've lost our jobs disproportionately, which also means that we're under the added pressure of being unable to maintain even our already last class standard of living. And they say, what's going on? Yeah, Rod, that's, that's, that, you gave us a lot to unpack there. And the gun violence in our community, though, even the pre-pandemic, it's an issue. It's been an issue. It's an issue. All the thing, I agree with everything that you said in terms of how we got to where we are and how police department, how public officials view the way that we're dealing with it. But we got to deal with it better. The impact that the gun violence has been having on our communities, in my opinion, is preventing us from, when we talk about business ownership, it's one of the reasons that a lot of black folks don't open cash businesses because they're afraid that they're going to get robbed by some young black guy and they're going to lose their lives. I feel the same way. You know, we talked about opening restaurants, opening different kind of businesses. And one of the things we talked about was how are we going to keep ourselves safe? How are we going to keep people who customers safe? Because of the fact that young black men have been terrorizing our communities with guns, guns that they're not manufacturing, guns that they're not bringing into the community for distribution, but they're taking those guns and they're terrorizing our community. That's true. And uh, Rod, you did give us a lot to unload here. Um, one thing I want to address is the status of our communities and literally how we got here. It's, what's happening today is just a product of the systematic racism that we have faced in this country. And, you know, the racists want to point out Chicago. Anytime anything's mentioned, they point out to the, the violence in Chicago. And Chicago is basically a ground zero for the racism in this country. Because, number one, the leadership, the black leadership in Chicago has been destroyed through the FBI and other systematic racism means the school system has been destroyed. Every institution to uplift Black people in that city has been destroyed. And what you have left the young people with are the drugs that have been imported there and the guns that are imported there. And basically, you have told them to survive. That's what you've given them. And then you want to point out that violence and say, it's up to us. That's our issue. No, that's an issue of white Americans. Yeah. And see, that's you know? exactly where I come down on it hard because, again, as King said, the riot is the language of the unheard. And so you've got all these people in these inner cities who have had everything literally taken away from them. They don't own anything. And so it's it's just frightening to watch that they have turf wars over stuff that they don't even own just because they don't have anything else to try to call their own and couldn't agree more that it's out of hand, but the reason it's out of hand is simply because, as you said, Norm, systemic racism has taken literally everything from them and made them more or less invisible. And so when you dehumanize people the way you have for 401 years, then you can't be surprised when you decide to pile on to it drugs and guns and are act as though somehow you didn't realize that they were going to eventually end up turning on each other. That was the intent and that was the purpose. And the other thing is that this is not a zero sum situation, that we can indeed be against 
all of the violence that comes into the community. And there's a lot of activism in the communities. You know, you have the churches, you have the civic leaders, they all are trying to find ways to cut off the gun supply, to educate kids about drugs, but none of the media ever covers any of that. But they cover the negative side of it and never try to uncover the source. And at the same time, you can still support Black Lives Matter. The two things don't cancel each other out because you got some folks in the community who are shooting and killing. Unfortunately, that's where the police are supposed to come in and solve crimes there, just like they do in any other community. As we said on an earlier podcast, there's no such real thing as black on black crime until you start talking about white on white crime or brown on brown crime or anybody else. But you can hold both things at the same time. You can actually say black lives matter and you're against the gun violence in our communities. Yeah, you're exactly right, Rod. There's a lot of activism in communities trying to solve these violent crime problems that we have in our communities. And also you're right about the fact that, you know, they're trying to equate the two things when you can't. They're different. When you got police brutalizing and killing black folks, unarmed black folks at that, it's different from crime in our communities that stem from the high unemployment rate, subpar housing, just subpar living standards. And you're going to get that. But we have to, as a community, we're going to have to solve this gun problem with young black folks in our communities with the help from some other organization and preferably some of those organizations that are part of that systemic racism that perpetuated this situation. We do have to, I think, we got to kind of change the paradigm. We got to get a shift in the way that we approach some of these problems. A lot of money and programs, they're throwing the money at young folks. They got a lot of programs for young folks, but there aren't any programs for that I know of that's being thrown at parenting. I'm not the greatest parent in the world, but you know, I've tried to teach my kids to make positive contribution to society. Right now, and this has been going on for a long time, in my opinion, you have a lot of folks who are just not parenting their kids. It's either because they don't want to, or it's a part of the vicious cycle. We gotta get to the root of that problem. And once we get into the root of that problem, which part of that problem I think is, what you're talking about, Rod, that stemmed from 401 years of discrimination and slavery and, and that whole thing. Well, we got to start looking inward. We are the ones who are going to solve this problem. People got to stop harboring these folks who are killing young, innocent folks by straight bullets. They're coming into neighborhoods and having gunfights while kids are out here in the playground. You know, there's something mentally wrong with folks who are doing that. They don't have a lot of respect for Black life in our communities, Black folks who are doing that. Or, or they don't have black respect for Black lives because they see a society that doesn't have any respect for Black lives. True. Literally. So that's what they've seen since they've been on this planet, and that's how they're acting. So, you know, we can't be surprised by their behavior. But the one point I wanted to make was because, again, like you and Rod both pointed out, that people want to always make the point of police brutality and Black-on-Black crime. Well, I can definitely say that when Blacks commit crimes, they're tried, they're arrested, and they go through the system. But when police commit crimes, they're not. And that's the issue. And people always want to make, you know, the crime or the action the issue. The issue is the response. And literally today, we have Black people who have been murdered by police who are at the beach and hanging out and, and living their life. Yeah, and I also look at how systemic structural racism is such a real pandemic that I think we lose sight of the fact that if 
those other areas that are bringing the violence that I was calling out earlier, the economic violence, the educational violence, healthcare, media, and the legal violence, that if those areas were addressed, I just can't in my life believe that if we were on a level playing field where our people, our young people had the same kind of opportunities to participate in the economy, to get education, to have health care, to not see themselves portrayed as thugs and, and not being under the thumb of the legal system, I don't believe we have all that violence. So, you know, again, I'm not, I just can't put myself on the side of believing that it's totally our responsibility to have to deal with something that we don't have that kind of control over. And the other thing is that, you know, I think Obama's administration sucked into that whole idea of the lack of the black father in the communities. When they did a study two years ago that showed that black fathers were more committed and more involved in their children's lives than any other ethnic group. And they updated it this year to even say that black fathers on average change more diapers than any other ethnic group. And so when I see those programs that are continuing to be uh, propagated on us, like the Brothers Keeper and the Fatherhood Initiative, you know, I said that is just reinforcing a stereotype that really isn't based in truth. And so while we all as a country, I think, need to be doing a better job as parents, as you said, Scott, I think the misnomer for me is the fact that somehow the Black family is more responsible than any other ethnic group. This is an independent study done, I think, by Texas A&M, and it shows just the opposite. But that doesn't get the coverage that all one weekend in Chicago or a couple of weekends in Chicago with gun violence comes up, nor do they ever really go back and say, well, how did we get here? Yeah, to me, that's the key. You know, how, how do we get here? Once we start looking at how we got here and then we start looking for solutions. But I, I do think that we got to do more in the community in terms of when I say you got people out here, a lot of folks know who's involved in a shooting and they're harboring these people. So we got to stop doing that, not snitching kind of crap, because, you know, for a long time, that's what drug dealers was doing or, or people who was committing violent crimes in our communities. They was using that fear factor. If you snitch, you know, we're going to come at you or come at your family. But we can't continue this way. The situation at hand that we was dealt, we were dealt a terrible hand, like 401 years, a terrible hand, the worst hand that we could possibly get. Looks like to me now... America as a whole, as a whole, white America, they are showing, showing signs that they want to do something. We got to guide in that support, the support that we need. And the support that we need is how do we get rid of this gun violence in our community, along with police brutality, along with systematic racism, institutionalized racism. We can walk and chew gum at the same time. We can, we can multipass. We can do a lot of things. I don't think enough attention has been paid to the violence that's been going on in our community, other than the lip service. Like you said, Rod, the media, to me, has been one of the biggest, the biggest, I don't want to say enemies, but they've caused more harm to Black folks because of all the negative coverage that they've been covering over the years when it comes to Black folks, in particular Black men. Pretty much all you saw at one time on TV when it was a Black man was something negative. And the picture that they painted for the rest of the world and in this country was detrimental to the way that people treat us now. 
the other thing that I'm concerned about on this topic is that I think too many of our own folks are allowing their own opinions to be shaped by this white propaganda. And I think they need to reject it. You know, too many of our own folks find themselves sucked into the easy racism of the white supremacist logic that they can ignore the evidence right in front of their face. You know, they'd see the protests in the community and against the violence. They got their kids in the anti-drug programs and the churches and after school programs and places. And so, you know, they have to kind of wipe away the whitewash that allows them to believe that anything more than a small segment. You're absolutely right, Scott. There is some black folks in some of these communities who are trying to terrorize the community. But for every one of those people, there's also folks who stand up against them. And what do we always know about a lot of these bully type people, especially these punks who jump up there with guns, is that as soon as people really stand up to them, they fold like a cheap suit. Right. But I just go back to the fact that over and over again, that even then, remember we said earlier about, we talked about this issue a few episodes back about that if those kids who are being sucked up into the gang life and thug life suddenly had opportunities to get a decent job and a decent education and to have a home and, and or to start a real business, then I just cannot believe that this problem doesn't just automatically eliminate itself. But we don't have that because of this systemic structural racism that we're continuing to emphasize and that hopefully, as you said, Scott, with the money that corporate America is now starting to speak with, because for the longest time, these problems were invisible until they spilled over into the white community. That's what happened with the drug war, that as long as it was drugs down in the hood, nobody cared. But as soon as it spilled over into suburbia, now suddenly you need to have a war on drugs to try to stop things from happening. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't see the connection that you get it, I get it, Norm, we we all get that people are offering support, but the folks we need talking about it, they're not talking about it. The so-called leadership, they're not talking about it. I don't hear a plan. There are a couple of cities that have passed legislation for reparations, but I don't hear the people who need to be talking about reparation and a plan and guiding that, the policy. I don't hear those people. I don't see, I haven't seen any plan. How do we solve these problems? That's one of the things that I'm concerned about. There's an opportunity here, and I see it kind of fleeting because people aren't taking the action. People who are in position to take action and suggest policy or put a program out there or some plan out there, they're not doing that. Congressional Black Caucus, where are these people? Where are they in all of this? I haven't heard anything from them about the pandemic. I haven't heard anything about reparation. You know, I haven't heard anything about the police brutality and the killing. Where's the black leadership? Well, a lot of them actually are starting to come out. I mean, uh, Cedric Richmond had a really good statement in the House of Representatives where he was about as down as I've heard any leader be. Karen Bass is doing some stuff. And as you said, the reparations thing is starting to take on a life of its own. You got the whole state of Rhode Island. You got uh, several other cities out there. So you're starting to see some movement on that front. But we have to keep the fire lit so that, you know, it doesn't fall off of the table when it is still at the forefront of the conversation. But we do realize we live in a country where it's easy for things to suddenly take a pause and then we're trying to get it relit. And and that's what I meant about these are legitimate issues that we're talking about, that there are resources out here with some of these Fortune 500 companies saying, hey, we got money, we want to put money into some of these, to solve some of these problems. Where do we put it? 
that's where, you know, there's a disconnect because we got some real, real issues here that we just talked about in this segment. But the people who are supposed to be the problem solvers are not connecting those problems with the folks who have the resources to help solve those problems. How do we make that connection? Uh, How do we not lose this moment? That's one of the things that I'm concerned about, that there's going to be a lot of talking. There's going to be a lot of people on TV talking about the issues. We know what the issues are. We, we know what they are. We can just run off a number of issues that's impacting our communities in a negative ways. But how are we going to solve the problems? How do we get these resources together? Who's the person that we turn to? Not just one person or organization that might have a plan to put in place so people can take that plan and duplicate that plan and solve some of the problems. Similar to what we were talking about with Black Wall Street. You know, we got these 12 principles. We hope people are following those 12 principles and taking that from city to city. We need something like that, that a roadmap to give folks from these Fortune 500 companies and some other organizations who want to help our communities. They need a roadmap to do that. Well, and that's our role to continue to keep the wagon moving forward because, as you said, there are a lot of issues on board. And if we stop, then there's a chance that the wagon might stop as well. But as long as we are able to have the breath to continue to keep the conversation going, we will continue to do that. And here's our positive Black business experience report of the week. This week, I reached out to a number of different vendors who do different types of handiwork around houses because I needed to get my deck power washed. It's been there and it's a source of pride for my house. I wanted it to continue to be a good addition for the home. And the first person to respond to me was a black contractor who does power washing and home remodeling in addition. And he came out and gave me a credible estimate and talked me through the process in a way that I didn't feel like I needed to get any other estimates on it. So It is always good when you can work with your own and feel confident and comfortable that they are going to to get you taken care of in a way that you feel comfortable with. So that's it for another edition of the Brothers Talk. And please remember to keep those stories coming in. And you could be featured on an upcoming program as this is part of our larger campaign to relaunch Black Wall Street nationwide, where we're emphasizing the personal responsibility of each of us to commit to this effort to buy and support Black businesses one household at a time. And don't forget to join our Facebook groups. We've got hashtag Black Dollars Matter, relaunching Black Wall Street nationwide, and of course, the Brothers Talk. One upcoming program note on our Friday, August 7th episode, we're welcoming in John Harmon, the president and CEO of the New Jersey African American Chamber of Commerce, the only accredited black chamber in the nation. We're going to dive deeply into the issues of black business. So mark your calendars and please tell anyone who may have an interest in hearing from the leader of this outstanding resource for black businesses, because we're going to discuss what's available as well as how we get better. And lastly, thanks again for all the feedback, and please keep it coming. And that also includes our Twitter feed, at The Brothers Talk, The Brothers Talk on Instagram. And for those who need more room to share, hit us up at the email address, thebrotherstalk at gmail.com. So until next time, be sure to tell everybody about us. And remember, let's do better today because that's all we really have.